Hey, hello church. Uh, wow, what a great song, huh? As we think about this time of year. And hey, blessing to be here. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 19. We're gonna work through that chapter as much as we can uh, this evening. If you need a Bible, lift up your hand. Mom, dad, uh, get Bibles out to everybody and uh, spread those around. While you're doing that, we do wanna remind you, Sunday, one service, so we're not gonna do a service, I was gonna say tomorrow night, but definitely not tomorrow night. This is our Good Friday service, but we're not gonna do a service on Saturday. We're gonna do one service, 10 a.m., so we wanna encourage you guys, come out for that, and uh, uh, I know you can't come here, but come out to your house and watch us online. Invite people. Once again, we wanna encourage you to invite people to to uh, uh, partake of that. You can, you know, I, I know a lot of you know a lot more about Facebook than I do. I never go on Facebook, but you can share Facebook. You can invite your friends to come and watch that and uh, use Facebook, use Twitter, use Instagram, use everything we can on social media to invite people for our service. It's gonna be streamed on Facebook Live. We're gonna have it on our website, calvarysv.org, all of our apps, whether you have Apple TV, Roku, uh, iPhone, iPad, Android, uh, we're gonna get it out there. So I wanna encourage you, do your part to get that to people. We're gonna do our part to, to uh, uh, broadcast it and get it out, so we need you to do your part to help us out. So, hey, let's do that. And then also, I wanna remind us, we have this uh, text number, 520-210-3678, for prayer requests, uh, I mentioned in our update video, some of you may not see those, I mentioned in our update video, that number is not the eternal Q&A number that you keep asking questions on. Some of you are like still sending in questions. That was last Thursday, we stopped doing that, and so please, uh, don't use that for that, you know. You can come in and, and see one of the pastors and ask questions, unless you have something serious going on. But that's, our, that's a, a text that you can text us for prayer. We wanna be involved in your lives, and I know some of you are still gonna ask questions, so, uh, you know, you're just who you are. So uh, that's coming up. Also, we wanna remind you, we got the kids' packages out in the lobby. Uh, you can stop by from 11 to three tomorrow, Pick those up for your kids. We want to minister to them. This is our what we were going to give them on, on uh, resurrection celebration at the high school. We have those ready. So mom, dad, stop by. Uh, get those for your kiddos and, and uh, make sure they get that. We want to keep ministering to them. And mom and dad, it's your responsibility now to raise up your kids in the Lord. So we'll come alongside you again. I, last week I gave you the email and, and text numbers and, and uh, you can email and ask uh, uh, Pastor Bobby at bobby at calvarysv.org or you can uh, ask Matt at matt at calvarysv.org. Those are really hard addresses to figure out. So hey, if you want some material, please let us know. We wanna be part of that. And uh, once again, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's look at what he has for us tonight. Father, we thank you for this time where we can gather together. And God, I thank you, Lord, that, that we have your word. And God, I was just thinking, we're singing that song and, and those words, all of my hope is in Jesus. And my prayer is that is true for us. No matter what's going on, no matter what's hitting our life, no matter how difficult things can get during this time, our hope is in Jesus and nothing else. And here's what I know, when I place my hope in Jesus, that 
man, I am not disappointed. So as we look at this passage tonight, open up our hearts to receive, strengthen our inner man so that we can walk through this time in faith and and trust in you. And as we look at the last hours of the life of Christ, God, I pray that it would penetrate deep in our hearts. And if anyone doesn't know you who's watching right now, or maybe we have a loved one that we can kind of tag and get them involved to watch this, I pray that they would get saved. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, we're going to look at John 19, uh, beginning in verse 1. Hey, the, the, the crazy thing about the life of Christ in this, this uh, last part of his life is the fact that, man, he has gone through a trial that is one of the largest miscarriages of justice, I think, known to mankind. And so far, he's kind of been bounced around. And and again, I would encourage you to read uh, uh, John 18. If you're not familiar, you can read some of the other passages, Matthew chapter 26. You can read in Mark. But he got bounced around. It's fun to put all of these together too. But first he was arrested. Then he went to the, uh, to the Sanhedrin. Then he went to Caiaphas' house. Then he went to Annas' house. Then he went back to Caiaphas' house. Then they sent him to Pilate. Pilate sends him to Herod. Then he comes back to Pilate. So that's a nutshell of, man, he just, got shuffled around and in the midst of that he's kind of getting beaten on and kicked at and spit at and things going so he's gone through all of that and now we're getting to the last few hours uh, before he was crucified and then as he was crucified and Pilate listen man Pilate doesn't know what to do with him and you know what that's true about a lot of people they just don't know what to do. Oh, there's a group like the, 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 the religious leaders. They know what to do. They hate him. And there's a whole group of people who want to hate him, and they get that. But I think the largest group there is out there is they just don't know what to do with Jesus. They don't know how, where to put him and how to figure him out. And so, man, my prayer tonight as we look at this and we get on the other side of that and we understand that we can trust him and uh, that he died for our sins. So picking it up in verse one, it says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now I wanna stop there and I'm gonna try and work through this whole chapter so I'm not gonna stop at every verse but I wanna stop there and talk about that for a moment. Some people say Jesus went, uh, uh, underwent two different scourgings. I kind of don't think so. I think that's, uh, uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. The scourging was horrible. When they, when they took somebody, and you know, we, we often think of the Jews, when the Jews would beat somebody, and with 40 lashes, they would always stop at 39, so they didn't, they didn't do too many. But the Romans didn't, hey, the Romans weren't about Jewish law. They don't care. And when they would scourge somebody, they would tie them to a pole, strip them naked, and they would have this, this uh, uh, whip that would be, have a, a good, uh, strong wooden handle, and then maybe three or four or five different uh, strands of leather coming off of it with different things on the leather. And they would just, hey, these guys were experts at hitting and ripping. And the whole thing was just to rip flesh and do as much damage as they could. And hey, these guys were experts at that. So that's what Jesus went through in this first part, and and we need to understand that. And hey, it's often said that most people don't even survive that. But Jesus, he withstood it because you know why? Jesus was supposed to die on the cross. And Jesus was not killed He gave up his life, and don't ever forget that. So, going on with this, 
And then it says in verses two and three, the soldiers, uh, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and they put him in a purple robe. Then they said, hell king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. So once again, just some more humiliation as much as they could do to humiliate him. And uh, these guys didn't care. And you might say these guys could care less who Jesus was. So we also have that group of people. We have some who don't know what to do. We have some who could care less. And then we have others who just want to reject him. So then, listen, look at Pilate, because this is amazing. Verse 4, Pilate went out again, and he said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault with him. Here's what Pilate saying. I know the guy's innocent. I know he didn't do anything wrong, yet he won't just pronounce him innocent and release him. You see, Pilate is more afraid of Rome than he is God. Pilate knows he's doing something wrong. Pilate knows that what he's doing is, is I, I believe this way, he knows what he's doing is extremely immoral. But he's insisting on doing it because he's a man-fearer instead of a God-fearer. And he's looking at this group and he says, hey, come on, guys, he's innocent. Look at this guy. And by now, man, Jesus is a mess to look at. And then verse five says, then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Listen, man, they're screaming that, that Pilate needs to do this, and Pilate is saying as loud as he can, man, I don't want to do this. And that blows my mind. I don't ever want to be a Pilate. I'm not talking about a pilot of an airplane. I'm talking about, I don't want to be Pontius Pilate and this guy who knows the right thing to do, yet he won't do it. He refuses to do it. And they're yelling at him to crucify him. And Pilate says, hey, you take him. And, and bottom line, he's not giving them permission to do uh, what Rome did, but he's, he is telling them, it's on you guys. You guys take care of it. And then here's what blows my mind. They say, hey, we have a law. And according to our law, Jesus deserves to die. Hey, you can look it up later. Look up Leviticus chapter 24. You guys are home, read the book of Leviticus. You get some time, but look up Leviticus chapter 24. If you blaspheme God, you are to be stoned to death. And that's what they're claiming. And they say, but here's what blows my mind most of all. They answer him and say, listen, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself the son of God. You can have conversations with cults and cults will say, Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. They'll say, he, you can't say he's God because he never claimed it. Well, evidently, the people who were there on the scene believed that he claimed it and believed that he did it. And I think he pretty much convinced them, I, you know, I am the son of God. And hey, they're buying into it and they're, they're irate about it. So they're telling him that, therefore, verse six, therefore Pilate heard that saying, or therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, more afraid of who? And it says, and went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? 
but Jesus gave him no answer. Now listen, this could be a fulfillment of some of this stuff in Isaiah 53. We'll talk about that a little later. But I think what's going on, I think Jesus isn't answering him because in my Bible, I went from, from verse uh, 9 and I drew an arrow back up to chapter 18 and verses 36 and 37. Jesus has already told him where he's from. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. But listen, he says, man, I've come from a different kingdom. And Jesus has already spoken to Pilate about being sent by God on a mission for God. And so he doesn't have to answer him. I think Jesus is kind of in that mode where, I'm not going to tell you again. I told you once and you didn't care. You didn't listen to me, so why should I tell you again? So he doesn't answer him. Pilate gets a little bit irritated. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? I kind of love that. I love that in a, are you not talking to me? <laughs> you kind of want Jesus to say, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm not going to talk to you ever, you know. But he says, hey, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Here's what Jesus said. You think you have power, but everything is go to, going according to our plan. If you watched Sunday morning or Saturday night last week, we talked about the fact that the Jews don't want to crucify him or don't want, to, don't want to come against Jesus at this time, yet they were forced into it. This is not a good time. And here's what Jesus is telling Pilate. Pilate, you think you're doing something? You're not doing anything that my God is not allowing and that is not according to God's plan. And then he drops this bombshell. He says, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. In verse 11, some say Jesus is talking about Judas. I don't think he's talking about Judas. I think he's talking about Caiaphas. Hey, Judas had light, no doubt. And he had light, and he rejected the light he had, and he blew it. And I'm not saying Judas didn't blow it, but man, Caiaphas, Caiaphas had a ton of light, and he rejected all of that light he had. Remember, Caiaphas is a high priest. He had the Old Testament, and you know, even as corrupt as those guys were, they still had the word of God. And they went against the word of God. And Jesus says, hey, more is, uh, uh, there's more punishment for him than there is for you, Pilate. Then verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. And the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus, at, sat, uh, brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now listen, man, he comes out and now he's pronouncing judgment. Hey, you do have to get into Matthew chapter 27, Mark 15, Luke 23 to kind of get the whole picture of everything that's going on. But in Matthew 27, this is about the time where Pilate's wife comes out and says, sweetheart, what are you doing? Thank God for the wisdom from our wives. I'm not gonna say that she was a great godly woman, but thank God that God gives us spouses. And I think of our wives, I'm a guy. I think, thank God for my wife when I'm about to do something really, really foolish. My wife will often say, and this is where it gets kind of personal. She says, Patrick, what are you thinking? 
Why would you do that? And I often tell her, because I'm stupid, that's why, honey. So she came out and she said, Pilate, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? So that's in Matthew chapter 27. And Pilate's getting ready, and this is where Pilate washes his hands like we're all doing right now. Obviously, he didn't do too good of a job of it, but he's washing his hands of the whole thing. He's trying to say, I, and what does he say? I'm innocent of this man's blood. No, you're not. You could have done more. But he's copping out, and again, because he fears man more than, than he does God. And then verse 14 says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. Now there's some difficulty in John. As we read John, John's time frame doesn't seem to be the same as other people's time frame. And again, I think it's perspective, and I want to get through most of this chapter, so I'm not going to take a long time to talk about these things. I think this preparation day of the Passover was about the Sabbath Passover that was going on. So, you know, Jesus has celebrated the Passover with his disciples the night before. Some people say the Galileans would do it one night, then the, Ju- the, the people, the Judeans, the people living in Jerusalem would do it the next night. We can do, go through all of that, but listen, man, hey, you can get some commentaries, you can Google it, you can look at it, but the Bible's not wrong, but there was a preparation day. Listen, we do know, I believe this was either the day before they celebrate Passover on a Thursday, I think more, this was a Friday. I'm a good Friday guy. I think Jesus was crucified on Friday, and uh, you know, hey, I'm not gonna stand on that. I hope we don't break fellowship over that. I hope some of you, at least no one's getting up and walking out right now, so that's a good thing. But uh, hey, don't turn us off either. Keep us tuned in. You can keep listening. Uh, You don't have to agree with me, but listen. He took him out and he says, behold your king. But they, in verse 15, they cried out, away with him crucify him and Pilate said to them shall I crucify your king the chief and the, the, the chief priests answered we have no king but Caesar does that blow your minds really you would think way back hey way back in Samuel when they went to Samuel and they told Samuel hey we want a king we don't want you anymore well I, I don't think they were so much rejecting Samuel as they were looking at Samuel's boys and those guys were a piece of work So I kind of understand, but they went and asked for a king and here they're saying, our king is Caesar. Do you understand what Caesar did to the Jews? You think about oppression, you think about a dictator, you think about a tyrannical leadership. It was horrible for the Jews under Rome and here they're yelling, hey, we have no king but Caesar. I mean, that to me is bizarre. And and again, for them to be doing that shows how crazy this thing gets. And you know what, saints? This is how crazy it gets when you reject Jesus. When you reject the truth, you will believe about anything. You will uh, believe almost anything. And that's something to remember, man. Hang on to the truth. Then, in verse 16, then he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his cross, in verse 17, went out to the place, uh, went out uh, to a place, a place called, a a place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. And when they crucified him, two others were with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Have you noticed when you read the Gospels, 
that when they get to the part of the crucifixion, it's like that. They don't dwell on it. They don't talk about it. They don't emphasize it. They don't talk about all the excruciating pain and everything that's going on. And I think that's important. Listen, Jesus doesn't need our pity. If you come to Jesus over pity, your relationship with him is not gonna last real long. You need to come to Jesus because you love him and because you understand he took your sin upon himself. And you need to understand the crucifixion, the physical part of the crucifixion, as bad as it is, and I'm not, listen, I'm not mitigating it and saying it wasn't horrible. It was horrible. Hey, do you know who invented crucifixion? The Persians. Today we call that Iran. They invented it. They started it. And then it was passed on through different cultures. And when Rome got a hold of it, Rome perfected it. And Rome made it the most excruciating, horrible way of execution I think ever known to man. So I'm not mitigating that, but what I find fascinating is when you read it in the Gospels, they don't spend a lot of time. They don't give us all of the details that sometimes I hear some pastors and teachers, they go on and on and on and on about every detail of it and how horrible it is. And, and yet in the Gospels, this is, and then they crucified him and they go on. And you know, sometimes I think we kind of need to think of it that way. It's not all of the details of how the things happen and what exactly happened to him. Here's what we need to remember. Jesus took our sin upon that cross. And when we get to focusing on all the physical, like everything else in life, you focus on the physical, you begin to lose the spiritual. And the most important part is the spiritual part. So, hey, they crucified him. It's interesting. He tells us where they went. And, and, and hey, they went to this place, a, a place of the skull and, and called Golgotha. In, in Greek, it's called Calvary or a form that we get Calvary from. Hey, our church, bottom line, if you really want to get technical, should be skull church. That's how we should interpret it. And I know some of you, that just freaked you out. Some of you went, yes. But as we think about it, listen, he went to this place and uh, when we go to Israel, there's two prominent places. There's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher that's on the west side of, of the old city and then there's Gordon, or, or, uh, Gordon's tomb, uh, the, the, the garden tomb we call it, that is on the north side and just outside of the old city. And people want to bicker back and forth. Which is the most? Which one is really it? Well, we don't know which one is it. But I'll tell you what, man. I've been inside the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and I don't like it. It's dark. It's stingy. People are wailing. It's not, it's not a pleasant place. It kind of stinks. People are doing some bizarre things that I've watched and observed. And then you go to the garden tomb and it's open and airy and there's flowers. And the cool thing is you can see visibly a big empty tomb. You can actually go in that tomb and it's there. Now listen, is that the tomb Jesus was in? I don't know, I don't care, but here's what I do know. It's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. So listen, I kind of think, I, I go with uh, the garden tomb as the place, not because I want to be accurate 
archaeologically speaking, but because I want, I just, it just ministers more to my heart. If dark, dungy, stinky ministers to your heart, go to the other one and you can be ministered to. So listen, but here's the thing. They crucified him. There was one on either side. Most of us know that. And we need to know that this was outside the city. Well, I think, I think we might get it from these following verses. Now, Pilate wrote in verse 19, Pilate wrote and put it on, put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So listen, man, Pilate made sure of one thing. This is kind of his last gig and he wants to get at these, uh, at these chief priests. Now, Jesus did have to die outside the city. Again, according to Exodus chapter 29, the, the, the uh, the, the lamb that was slain for the sin had to be outside of the city. So that's a true, that's, that's where he had to go. And then we know according to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I put some other passages, when one sinned, they had to be, they had to be executed outside the city. So this is outside the city on a main road, but Pilate made sure that everybody went by could read Jesus of Nazareth. Again, letting us know where he's from, this kind of town that was a nothing town. But then he says, the king of the Jews and that flipped the Jews out. The Jews are like angry, and here's what they say. The chief priests, in verse 21, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And then here's finally, finally Pilate got some courage, and Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. That's it, period. I wrote it, it's done, forget about it. Then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. To each, uh, to each soldier a part, also the tunic, and now the tunic was without seam, woven from top, to, uh, from top in one piece. They therefore among themselves, they therefore said among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, who, for, for it, whose it shall be, that, and then, uh, John adds that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and therefore, uh, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Psalm 22, listen, Psalm 22 is being fulfilled, but here's what to me is kind of crazy. These guys are hanging out, and they're looking at, and Jesus is dying on the cross. He's dying for our sins, and then these guys come up with this thing about, hey, I know, let's gamble for his clothes. And it's kind of weird to me. They're underneath the cross, and, and they're, they're, like, they're like vultures. And it says they divided up his clothes. Now, if you know anything about first century dress, that a, a, a man would have five items, and that's kind of interesting, that he would have five items. It's implied there were four soldiers. He would have a turban. He would have an outer robe. He would have a sash or, or a girdle, if you want, or a, a belt, sandals, and then a fairly long uh, tunic over the top was made of one piece. So they took those first four items and they divvied them up. Hey, you take the sandals, I'll take the belt, you take the turban, and the four guys divvying them up. But they come with this last one, they don't want to rip it into quarters, so they go, I know, let's gamble for it. Now, I'm kind of blown away. Here is Jesus dying for the sins of, of uh, humanity, and they're there gambling for his clothes. That's crazy. 
and are underneath the cross. Now, as we think about the cross and Jesus dying and how, how gross that was, I want to read a quote that I got out of, uh, these are from uh, some uh, uh, old, old, old dead guys. One of them, Cicero, uh, one of the Roman statesmen, said this of crucifixion. It is a crime to bind a Roman citizen and discourage him is an act of wickedness. To execute him is almost murder. What shall I say of crucifying him? An act so abominable, it is impossible to find any word adequately to express it. And then Tacitus, one of the historians of, uh, of Rome, said this about crucifixion. A torture only fit for slaves. So Jesus is on that cross. Jesus is dying a horrific death. And it's agonizing. It goes on for, I think about, I think he's on the cross for six hours. And different things are said. Again, you can go back and read those, those different passages I gave in, in Luke and Mark. And, and uh, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and kind of get the seven sayings from the cross. And hey, that's a good thing. Get your kids together. Sit down and read that and go over that and, and talk about that. Jesus had seven sayings. I'm not going to give you all seven. I want you to find them to teach to your kids. But hey, you have all of that going on, all of this. And now it's towards the end. Hey, this is when he's getting ready uh, uh, to take his final breath and check out what happens in verse 25. It says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. You know what blows my mind? Who's at the cross? Women. And most of the disciples are gone. I believe all but one are gone, and we'll get to that in a minute. But hey, people split, man. Those guys who hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, they're, they're gone, they're hiding, they're freaked out. But who's there? The ladies, his mom, his aunt, who probably is Salome, we've read about, the mother of, of James and John, and you kind of think about the interactions they've had. Hey, read the Gospels. Hey, for homework, read all through the Gospels. You know, this week, you have some time to do it. And hey, they've had interactions, Jesus and her, and some of them haven't been real pleasant interactions. Remember, he had to rebuke her. And yet, here she is at the cross. Now, you would expect his mom to be there, and then it tells us this Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, and we don't know a lot about her. Some people say she was one of the two on the road to Emmaus later on in the book of Luke. And then you have Mary Magdalene. You would expect her. So there's two Marys you would expect. There one Mary you're not, not sure about, and then you have Salome, and then you have 500 other Marys that weren't there. Everybody named their daughter Mary. That was the most popular name in the first generation Jude, uh, of, of the Jews. But listen, man, you have these ladies, and they're, they're there. They're they're loving on him. And you kind of think, man, they're trying to deal with this whole situation. And here's Jesus. He's dying. It's bad. I'm sure all of the things you can read, how painful it is. He's, he's suffering all of that physical pain. It's, it's excruciating. But he also knows he's about to suffer spiritually for our sins. And as he's facing all of that, check out what he does. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. 
And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Hey, these two, these two people had a special bond with Jesus. Obviously, his mother did, but so did John. And they're there at the cross. They're there at the end. And Jesus, instead of thinking about all the things that were coming and all the things he was facing, he looks at his mom and he's concerned about his mother. He looks at John. I think he's a little concerned about John too. And he knows putting those two together, they will help each other to get through the pain that they're about to, to have to walk through when he dies on the cross. And the, I think the interesting thing, he doesn't say mom. He doesn't say mother. He says woman. Now, you know, some people get up tight. That wasn't a disparaging term. Woman was, a, was a, a, a term of endearment. As a matter of fact, he used that way back in John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, around there. Remember when, remember when he's at the wedding and he's supposed to make wine? Or he's at the wedding, his mom wants to, him to make wine. Remember she comes and says, son, take care of these people. This is a paraphrase. He says, take care of these people. And remember what he says? Hey, woman, my time hasn't come. Again, not talking, hey, woman. It's like, it was a term. Also, though, do you think he could be telling her at this point, mom, our relationship's no longer son and, and, and mom, but our relationship now is I'm your savior and you're part of the body of Christ. I, I, I kind of I lean towards that, that he's kind of pushing her in that direction. So he tells John to take care of her. John, it says, from that day, the disciple took her to his home. Now, you can read a lot of extra biblical accounts, and some of them get kind of weird about John and Mary and what they did and where they lived and everything that went on as far as, did they live in Ephesus? Did they stay in Jerusalem? Did he not do any ministry till she died? Yada, yada, yada. Hey, we don't know because the Bible's silent, and when the Bible's silent, it's a good time for us to be silent. So, wow, you guys aren't listening fast enough. So, uh, we don't have kids, do we? We can go, hey, we can go till nine o'clock. Just kidding. Some of you like clicked right then. So verse 28, here's the last two words. Well, two of the last three words from the cross. Verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled it with a sponge. They filled a sponge with the sour wine, put it on his sop, and put it to his mouth. So listen, men are giving him that drink. That was not, listen, that was not, it wasn't the before the wine mixed with gall that would deaden the pain. This was just a, hey, they're just giving him some hydration, and he takes that, and then it says, listen, verse 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit, or as it says in Matthew, Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. That's the last words. So after Jesus was on the cross, the last three hours were in darkness. Now he's done it. And here's what he says, man, I love that term. It is finished, and we've talked about it before. Uh, 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 the Isaacs have their whole ministry called Tetelestai, the, the, the different uh, uh, films that they put together. Hey, Tetelestai, is, when it says it is finished, it means finished, finished. It is complete. It is done. It is taken care of. Your sin and my sin are now on Jesus, on the cross, and all you have to do is believe that. 
You've got to appropriate it by believing and telling God you believe that he died for your sins, which means you've got to confess to God that you know you're a sinner. God already knows you're a sinner, but you need to know you're a sinner. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to thank him for dying for your sin, for taking your sin upon him. Hey, those hours of darkness, when Jesus said to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because they were separated as Jesus was taking a punishment that I deserve, that you deserve upon himself in those, those hours of darkness. Listen, he paid for it. And here he says, it is finished. Those are the greatest words ever. And I think ever spoken because Jesus took care of a plague that mankind has dealt with since Genesis chapter three. It's called sin. Hey, you think what we're dealing with now is bad? Sin is like a bazillion times more contagious than COVID-19. As a matter of fact, everybody's got it. There's 100%. And so Jesus is taking care of that. He's paying that price. And then, listen, he took care of it. He paid it. Then verse 31, therefore, because it was preparation day, and that the, uh, uh, because it was preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, again, the Sabbath of the Passover. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified. But when they came to Jesus uh, and, and saw that he was already de dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side and with a spear, with a spear and immediately water and blood came out. So listen, man, they come to Jesus and, and they look at him and his, his, he's already dead. Now, Psalm 34 tells us that they won't break his legs. According to Exodus, when you did the Passover lamb, you weren't supposed to break any bones. So, hey, that's all part of that. And, and they didn't break his legs. And, and it was common almost all through uh, uh, history. They would break the legs of those people crucified because that would cause them to finally suffocate and die. They would use their legs to push up to get a breath and a lot about that. But I want to finish this chapter so we're not going to get into that. And then Zechariah 12 says they're going to look on him whom they pierced. And that's the piercing of the side. And, and it says immediately uh, blood and water came out. I think, again, as an indication that, that the sack around his heart had exploded and he was dead. I don't think this has a lot to do with, hey, we need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins and water for baptism, and et cetera, et cetera. I think all of this is saying is, listen carefully, Jesus was dead, dead. It's proof. It's proof that he actually died. He didn't almost die. Hey, the Gnostics or those people who are into the Docetic, you know, the Docetic belief and, and they get into those things, they're saying that Jesus didn't really die, that it was all a spoof, it was all a fake, and he wasn't really human, et cetera, et cetera. No, he was 100% human, 100% God, and he actually died. So listen, they, they did that water and blood came out, verse 35 says, and he who has seen this testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled not one of his bones shall be broken and again the other scripture that was Psalm 34 and again the other scripture they shall look on him whom they pierced that's Zechariah so here's what John said I was there 
Who are you going to believe? A bunch of critics, a bunch of people who do stuff now and they go around and they go, oh, that couldn't have happened or that didn't happen. Or are you going to believe an eyewitness? I'm all about an eyewitness. Hey, we're going to talk about that Sunday. That's a little tease for Sunday's message. We're going to look at eyewitnesses and, and we're going to find out, did Jesus really raise from the dead? But before he's got to raise from the dead, he's got to get buried. So here he died. He died, died. He completely died. He's a dead guy. And look at these two guys. These are kind of some of my heroes. Verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took the body of Jesus. Listen, man, you can, you can hassle right now Joseph and you can say, what's the deal? What are you doing being a secret believer? Like sometimes we tell people you're a, you know, you're a covert believer, you're a secret agent, people don't know. Well, Joseph was that way until he was needed, until his time came. You know, here's what kind of blows my mind as I read through this. There are little things that happen along the way that are challenges for people. And you know, hey, Herod got a challenge, the high priest got a challenge, Pilate got a challenge, the, the whole Sanhedrin people got a challenge, and everyone dealt with a challenge differently. And then those that Jesus bonded to the most, his mother and, and, and John, hey, man, he gave them a challenge that they're gonna have to meet. He put a little bit more on them at the time he was dying. Just like, you know, sometimes we think God puts too much on us. Hey, that's because he loves us. And then now, listen, man, Joseph of Arimathea gets a challenge. He can do something for the Lord. And when the time comes, he's not a secret guy anymore. He's not an undercover agent. He steps out of the, the, the shadows and now he's out in the light and he says, hey, I'm gonna go get his body and take it down. I want you to notice something. None of the disciples did that. No one else was there. Who's there? And we read later on in one of the other gospels, he's part of the Sanhedrin. Hey, he's part of that ruling bunch. So he's there doing it. And then, listen, and he's a very wealthy guy, which we know according to scripture, he was supposed to be buried in a, in a, 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 with the rich. So, hey, Joseph comes and gets him. And he's not going to be able to do it by himself. So verse 39, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Huh. Nick at night. Do you remember in John chapter three? Hey, there's a whole bunch. Most of us know John three sixteen, right? But that's part of that whole thing. Hey, if you read all of John chapter three, he tells Nicodemus some reality, and then he tells him this. He says, hey, Nick, if I be lifted up, I will draw him into me. I believe that's why Nick's at the cross. I believe he remembers that night almost probably three years ago when Jesus spoke to him and now he's at the cross and now he's ready to serve because now's his time. 
And saints, listen, man, we all are going to have a chance to, to serve the Lord and to represent him. And Nicodemus shows up right about the same time Joseph of Arimathea is there. Hey, these are two prominent men in Judaism, and they're two pretty wealthy guys. Some people get uptight that wealthy people can't serve the Lord. Hey, these two wealthy guys did an amazing thing for the Lord, and they took him, they prepared his body, put him in a tomb, verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, that's why we like uh, uh, the garden tomb, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So tonight, here's what we learned. Jesus died for our sin, and he was buried. Now you have to wait till Sunday for the rest of the story. But you need to decide, are you gonna be a pilot? And you're just gonna kinda avoid? You're gonna be one of those people who you sidestep the issues, one of those people who you're not gonna make a commitment, you're gonna wait. Maybe you deflect all the time and you're always deflecting, 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 just like Pilate. You're gonna be a, one of the Jewish leaders who you're just hating him. You're gonna be part of the crowd that last week you were yelling Hosanna, this week you're yelling crucify him. You're just going by the emotion and going by what's happening. You're gonna be a Mary and a John, loving him to the end no matter what. Gonna be a Nick? Hey, you worshiped him at night and now you're there. Man, and you're ready to do what God has called you to do. Hey, all of us have a choice to make. And all of us has, have to do something with this person we call Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's your choice. You can either fall in love with him and serve him and give your heart to him or you can continue to reject him. That's up to you. But as we get ready to celebrate his resurrection, and I know, listen, I know we're all going through a weird time and it's a different time, but you know what? That's okay. You think it's weird and different now? How would you like to have been there that day, live and in person, when you couldn't connect the dots and you couldn't bring anything together and you probably felt like God was like completely out of control and everything is upside down. So hey, my challenge to us is let's walk through Jesus. Those of us who know him and have a relationship, let's don't get on long faces and let's don't complain, well, we can't be together. It's such a bummer. This is such a horrible thing. Hey, let's celebrate the fact we can still celebrate Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I want to encourage us to do that. Let's be a light in this time. And let's shine brightly. For those who don't know, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to, when we close in prayer, man, I'm going to challenge you. And maybe you're watching online or, or you know, maybe you're watching this later. Maybe somebody sent you the link and you picked it up later and looked at it later. Hey, it doesn't have to be tonight. But if you're hearing my voice and you do not know Jesus Christ, call on his name and you will be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So, hey, in your homes, wherever you are, unless you're driving, 
I don't think you're driving if you're watching this, hopefully not, unless you have a Tesla and then you can do that. But hey, hey, if you're, if you're at home, let's all stand up and let's all close in prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight. We thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your challenge. And Lord, I do pray, I pray for all of us. Lord, we need to think about our lives. Maybe, maybe even as believers, we're using a little bit of that, that whole pilot thing and, and we're deflecting. And we don't, wanna, we don't wanna take responsibility for certain things. God, touch our hearts right now. I believe a lot of us are Mary and John and we're just loving you and you're loving us and we're going through life. And, and God, I pray that for those that are doing that, continue to pour your spirit out upon us. Continue to use us. Lord, maybe some of us like Nick and Joey, we come across late and we, 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 kinda, we kinda right now are getting ready to launch. Well, Lord, launch us and use us. But most of all, God, all the world is calling this the Holy Week. I think every week is a Holy Week, but I understand what they're saying. This is a special time, a special celebration. As we think about the time when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't so much a physical as the fact that he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And Lord, we want to celebrate that. We want to rejoice in that. We want to be joyful that he took our sin upon him and he paid a price we could never pay. Thank you, God, for doing that for us. And I'm gonna ask you all to stay in the attitude of prayer, and for those who do not have that relationship, right now, man, right now, call on the name of the Lord. We've explained what he's done for you on the cross, so now it's your turn, and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And hey, you know what, man? It, you, can, you can say this prayer after me. Prayerfully, you'll say it out loud there in your, wherever you're at. But say this prayer after me. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. Right now. Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart, I want you right now just to say amen to that prayer. And for all of us, God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, we're looking forward to celebrating your resurrection on Sunday. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you made that commitment tonight, please let us know. You can let us know on the comments on Facebook. You can text us that number that was 520-210-3678. You can let us know, yes, Tonight I accepted the Lord. Hey, that would encourage us. If you notice when I was praying, I almost said, if you said that prayer, raise your hand, but I can't see your hand. So the only way you can let us know is by communicating with us. So if you made that commitment, let us know. Don't forget, Sunday at 10 a.m., man, we are looking forward to it. God bless you guys. Thank you tonight for being with us. 
And we look forward to uh, the time where we all get to see each other face to face. God bless you.